This is Archive Atlanta, episode 233, Early Newspapers. You're listening to Archive Atlanta, a history podcast where each week I'll be sharing a story about the people, places, and events that shape the history of the city of Atlanta. I'm your host, local tour guide, and total history nerd, Victoria Lemos. Hey everyone, happy Friday. So before we get into this week's mini, I have to let you know something that I'm working on for Halloween. So many of you love ghost stories. You ask me for episodes about Atlanta's spooky stuff. And there's a couple issues with that. First, it's not generally my thing. But even if it was my thing, I mean, I research things that aren't my thing all the time. It's not a researchable topic. Ghost stories, legends, spooky tall tales, whatever, they're an amalgamation of facts and fiction. And then over the years, we get to a point where it's really impossible to separate what's true or what's make-believe. And that doesn't mean that ghost stories don't play a part in our communities. I grew up in semi-rural New York. There was no shortage of abandoned farmhouses. And I'm not exaggerating. There's like seven I can think off off the top of my head. And let me tell you, every single one of them had some kind of murder story that we would all share on the bus. Uh, We were all just scared out of our minds with them. There's actually an abandoned monastery that we used to go hang out in when we were in high school. So, I mean, I'm, I'm very much kind of into this. And because I did not grow up in Atlanta, I don't have these stories. So all of that to say, my thought was that this year for Halloween, I could collect Atlantans ghost stories. I want to hear them from you, the listeners. And so what I did, I have a Google voice number. It's going to take you right to voicemail and you can leave your ghost story experience in a voicemail. I get it as an audio file and then I can put everybody together and just basically, you know, share these stories from your words because there's nothing to fact check, you know. I want to know all the things, whether maybe it's a spooky experience you had in your home or school or office, you know, maybe it's the same thing I had where all the kids on the bus, you know, talked about that one house that you passed. Um, If you have an address or you can describe where it is, even better. Um, If you just even know of a kind of a very famous ghost story in Atlanta, you want to share it. I want to hear all the things. Don't be stressed out about recording. Um, If you mess up, you can hang up, you can call back. If you need to ask me something, you can always contact me in the show notes. So I'm going to say the phone number here. It's going to be in the show notes. I'm going to talk about it on social media. Um, It is 404-829-4596. So now on to today's episode. We are going to take a short but fascinating look at Atlanta's earliest newspapers. Now today, Atlanta's newspaper scene is kind of dominated by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution, but even before when they were two separate papers, there are lots of forgotten publications from Atlanta's founding. And so today we're going to cover those early papers, who ran them, what you could find in them, how long they lasted, and a quick note to say that obviously all of these early papers are produced by white men, as at this point Black Atlantans were enslaved, Um, but African-American press in general struggled with funding in its earliest days. I did an entire episode about Black newspapers, um, I think it was episode 49. So if you're interested in that topic, you can go back and listen. Atlanta was established as Marthasville in 1845, but before that time, there were no local papers in this little railroad outpost. And as the trains began to arrive and more and more settlers came, our very first paper, the Luminary, was born. Started in July of 1846, its first issue was a four-page paper published weekly. Colloquially, it was called the Atlantic Luminary. Its founders were Reverend Joseph S. Baker, Yale graduate and editor of the Christian Index, which was another small local paper, and Thomas Wilson. 
Offices were located at Whitehall in Alabama, which of course is today underground Atlanta. The paper was made using a Washington hand press, which is a generic term for hand presses from that era. So if you've ever seen a historical movie where someone's trying like one sheet of paper at a time, pushing down what looks like a giant iron or like a panini press, this is basically what we're talking about. This was really hard work that required a lot of physical strength, but comically, the Reverend did not have all of the available letters that would be needed for a functioning paper. So there's actually a quote that says, spelling was not always according to Dr. Webster, end quote. He ended up having to spell things phonetically and often omit capitalization. The paper's stance was that it was neutral, but it had been called a democratic organ. And the thing that most people probably don't realize is that at this time, There's very little local news, so there's just not a lot happening in baby Atlanta, and so the paper is really about what's going on in other places across America. The owners later sold to Joseph Clapp and Frederick Bartlett, and later Clapp sold his interests to Charles Wheeler. Charles changed the name to the Tribune, and it would survive six more months before folding. Altogether, its lifespan was about three years, and it was the first to publish a daily weather forecast. It was also mentioned in a letter to Edgar Allan Poe as one of the owners was a friend of his. As the sun set on the luminary, other papers popped up on the horizon. The Enterprise was started just a few months after the luminary in 1846 by W.H. Royal and C.H. Yarborough. Its offices were right across the street from the luminary, and it came out weekly, focusing mainly on Whig politics. The Whig Party, by the way, was a conservative political party that existed between the 1830s and the 1850s. One year later, it was sold to C.R. Handletter, and it ceased operations that same year. So Handletter, or Handleader, uh, was celebrated as the most talented writer in the state of Georgia at the time. Uh, There was also a newspaper called The Democrat, started in that exact same year that the Enterprise disappeared, and that was run by Dr. William Henry uh, Fonderin from Maryland, but that only survived three months. And so William was actually a noted strong writer as well, kind of an enemy of the Whig Party, so you would kind of consider him a modern-day Republican. The Daily Examiner was started in 1854, also as a weekly, but became the first daily newspaper in Atlanta in August of that year. It was published by William Kay, edited by J.A. Ramsey, and had an office in the Holland House. The Southern Miscellany was founded in Madison, Georgia in 1842, but it moved to Atlanta with Mr. Hanlater from the Enterprise, uh, and it was published every Saturday at a cost of $2 a copy. It was also Whig in politics, and its topics were, quote, literacy, education, news, humor, and politics, end quote. Again, we're talking no local news. Um, It ended because of the smallpox outbreak in Atlanta, actually, and it was sold to Jonathan Norcross, who renamed it the Weekly Atlanta Intelligencer. The Intelligencer's first issue was released in 1849, and by 1851, it is owned by Johnson Bridwell. It was four pages in size, with 20 or so columns in a larger type. Its owners and its editor were extremely influential in politics, and it said that it was a loyal supporter of Governor Joseph E. Brown. In 1854, it became a daily newspaper, the second ever in Atlanta's history, and it was then appropriately named the Atlanta Daily Intelligencer. It survived until 1871. So this is really the first successful Atlanta newspaper. Um, I think there's actually archives you can even read online. Um, It was still, again, focused on national news, but the only local flavor you could find was very business and professional. 
It was described as not a large paper, but very well edited, and the paragraphs were short and epigrammatic. It also published until literally the last possible day it could before the Civil War. So until the day that everyone had to evacuate the city as Sherman is marching with the Union Army, um, which leads, of course, to the Battle of Atlanta, there is a very small press and kind of a little bunch of type that they kept in order to get a narrow strip of paper out each day. Usually it was just one or two columns of really important information. And it was the only paper that actually returned after the Civil War. So many papers really can't say the same thing after the war. Uh, The Temperance Crusader ran from 1859 until the outbreak of the Civil War. It was run by Colonel John Seals um, with editorial management from a very rare woman. Her name was Mary E. Bryan. She was at that time called an authoress, and after leaving Atlanta because of the war, she became a contributing writer to Scott's Magazine. The Southern Confederacy started in 1860, uh, not quite aware that the war would break out just about a year later. Uh, Don't get me wrong, this was a very opinionated periodical and described as, quote, the lively hand in the agitation of slavery and to be the terror of most aggressive views on the question of the state's sovereignty, end quote. Its editor, James Hamilton, had very strong convictions. Uh, He actually even published what was called a blacklist of merchants that were partial to the abolition of slavery, uh, and then subsequently published a quote-unquote whitelist along the lines of basically people who are aligning with the Southern sympathies. In 1861, he sold the paper to Georgia Dare and Mr. Hanletter, who seems to have a hand in every paper in Atlanta's history. Um, Adair employed a favorable reputation as editor-in-chief. He was a young 35-year-old. And by 1864, the entire publication moved to Macon. After the war, refugee papers came in with refugee men. So it seems weird to think about this, but papers like The Register from Knoxville, The Appeal from Memphis were actually really successful and popular in Atlanta because there were men from these cities living here being brought here because of the end of the Civil War. Also, after the war, we see two more papers appear, uh, the New Era, which was politically opposite of the Southern Confederacy, and the Opinion, which operated kind of in a middle ground. It was also the city's first afternoon paper. And that brings us to the Constitution. So beginning in a storeroom on Alabama Street with just a few cases of type and a single-cylinder hoe press that was operated by two black men, its first issue was released in July of 1868. And that, my friends, is where the episode ends, because the story of the Constitution and the journal and its merger is most definitely going to be its own episode one day. So there you have it, the story of Atlanta's earliest newspapers. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Remember to leave a rating and or a review wherever you listen to the podcast. There's also a Patreon link in the show notes if you want to support my work. I hope everyone has a great weekend, and I'll talk to you next week.